And I'm Aaron Poor. I'm the associate pastor here at Journey Church, and uh, we are in a series uh, of messages called Seeds that Pastor Sean started a few weeks ago, and he asked me to speak this week. And I want to say this. I'm really excited for what God is doing uh, right now and what is coming right now. And to say that I'm excited is there are literally thousands and thousands of churches right now this morning where some pastor has gotten up on a platform and said, I'm excited about this thing or the other thing. But I'm just telling you, I really, truly am excited about what's happening because I believe God is leading us into uh, some really significant times of pulling us deeper into relationship with him and growth and I can see it happening, and I can see it multiplying. And so what we're seeing in this, this message series is really a part of that. And what I would like to do is I'd like to just go back to last week and pick up, in a sense, where we left off there. So those of you who were here last week, you know that uh, there was a point in the message where Pastor Sean had you take out a little note card and what he had you do was really significant and really important. And we've already seen fruit from this um, since last weekend. But what he had you do was he had you seek God, listen to the Holy Spirit, and then write down a big, bold prayer request. That was the, that was the exercise. And if you weren't here last weekend, I really, really want to strongly recommend that you go back watch the message, and actually do that exercise with us wherever you're at when you're listening to it. Go ahead and take out a piece of paper, take a moment, seek God, listen to the Holy Spirit, and then write down a bold prayer request. So this is a significant thing because when we do that, something happens. You know, it's like our physical eyes can't see it, but, you know, I believe that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, and I believe this because it's what the Bible says, I believe when we delight ourselves in the, when the Lord, in the Lord, He gives us the desires of our heart. That's what Psalms 37.4 says. So what if that big, bold prayer request that you wrote down after you sought God and listened to the Holy Spirit was a desire that God placed in your heart. And God looks down and he sees you and, and he says, okay, you're opening up your heart. You really want to hear what I want you to pray for? This is it. And it's like a seed being planted. And after all, we're in this message series called Seeds. So let's just go back to the parable of the sower real quick. I don't want to read through it, but... If you don't know the parable of the sower, let me summarize it real quick. Jesus is talking about this guy who's out sowing seeds, right? So just kind of imagine in your mind's eye this guy, and he's got like maybe a bag, you know, over his shoulder with a bunch of seeds, and he just reaches in and grabs a handful of seeds and just throws them out. And Jesus talks about how the seeds, when they get cast out, they land on four different types of soil, right? Uh... Thorny soil, shallow soil, rocky ground, and good soil. And obviously it's the good soil where seeds find 
purchase and they germinate and they grow and they produce fruit. And then, in, and that's in Matthew 13. In verse 18, Jesus describes, he, he unpacks the analogy. Now this is a masterful analogy that Jesus uses here. And I mean, it's Jesus, right? He's good at this stuff. And he, he explains what each part of the story means. And I just want to read you just a little bit. Uh, verse 18, he says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes, snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. So let's just focus on that first thing. What is the seed Jesus is referring to in the parable? The word of the kingdom. That's the seed. That's what Jesus is talking about. And the soil that he's talking about, because uh, it literally says there at the end, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Okay? So when we see in the, in the story we have a seed and we have soil, Jesus is saying the seed is the word of the kingdom and the soil is your heart. So that's what he's talking about. Now, we receive God's word like tilled ground receiving soil. And I want to return back, you know, here and there throughout this message today to what happened last week. Because the exercise that we did was basically asking God to give us a word in our hearts to pray. That's what happens, right? I mean, when you stop for a second and you're still and you say, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show me a big, bold prayer to pray, then a word is planted in our heart that we can then stand on, believe for, pray for. And so this is kind of what's happening. We receive God's word like tilled ground receives seed. And there's a reason that Jesus uses seeds as an illustration, because it's a really, really good illustration. In fact, the next two or three parables, because he just tells several parables in a row in Matthew 13, the next two or three parables all have to do with seed. And he uses it in different ways, and, and he kind of changes the context and things like that, but he keeps going back to the idea of a seed. And so what I want to do is I want to talk for just a second about what a seed is and what it does so that we can see why it is such a genius move of Jesus to use this as an analogy and an illustration. But at the same time, while we're doing that, I want you to keep in mind the real focus we're talking about here. God has planted a seed in your heart and something needs to happen to that seed. Okay, so what is a seed? And I'm actually going to read this to you because I don't want to get it wrong. But uh, after doing a little bit of digging and research, this is, this is something that I gathered here. A seed is a small packet of genetic information. This tough protective capsule contains all the biological instructions needed to grow a new plant. Now remember, God has planted his seed, his word in our heart. Inside, it has a concentrated store of energy 
in the form of starch to get the new plant started. So what is that saying? The seed contains the the blueprint for how to produce fruit, and it also contains the energy to get the plant started. That's That's all in that seed. The seed has the plan and the power. The seed has the plan and the power. Okay? Now, go back to what you wrote down on that piece of paper. Because I believe that if you sat here and you said, Lord, I want you to direct me what you want me to pray for and believe for, and let's make it a big, let's make it a big ask. Let's make it a big, bold prayer. I want you to think about what that is. And I want you to look now at Jesus' illustration of the word of the kingdom going into your heart. The seed has the plan and the power. So in the same way, the word God has planted in your heart is the seed that contains the plans and the power to produce the promise. They're both there. It's all wrapped up in what God has put inside you. But something has to happen to it. So uh, God has the plan for the situation and the power to carry it out, and he wraps the whole answer up in the seed of his word that he plants in your heart. But it's in there wanting to grow. It's wanting to grow. Let me uh, read just a little bit more and kind of finish this up. Before a seed can start to grow, it must be in a suitable place called a niche, or if you're a really fancy person, a niche. I'm going to stay with niche. But uh, for, for, most, for most seeds, this simply means contact with bare soil in a place with plenty of light. Now, according to the parable and Jesus' description of the parable, your heart is the niche. Your heart is that place. And this is amazing and awesome to me because what that means is that God intentionally designed your heart to be a garden where he can plant his word and produce fruit. That's your heart. That's part of the purpose of your heart. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ, that word of the kingdom, dwell in you richly. And that word dwell is about to get really important. Watch for that. It's coming. So back to the issue. You're praying a big, bold prayer. Last week, you wrote it down. Uh, You asked the Holy Spirit to show you what to pray for, and it was like sowing a seed and looking for a harvest. But we're also seeing that God has seed in your heart, and that that's kind of how this process works. So now it feels, we're going to talk a little bit how it feels, right? Now it feels like a waiting game. And I know most people in this room know exactly what I'm talking about, and you have experienced that before, and you may be experiencing it right now. So what happens to that seed while it's in the ground? How does it grow? Uh, How do you bear fruit? So what I want to do is read you just uh, one verse out of John 15, and this really is our text um, today, and it's so important. And this verse describes two things that are going on at the same time. 
And it's kind of the key here. Listen to this. John 15, verse 4, it says this. Jesus is saying this. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, what is happening there? Jesus says, and it's kind of, I'll be honest, it's kind of confusing if you think about it, at least on a natural level, because Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. You abide in me and I'll abide in you. Because you cannot bear fruit any other way. It's not going to happen. And so there's, this is our key to doing something with that seed that God planted in our hearts. And of course, you understand, this could stretch out way beyond just what happened last Sunday, right? Where I'm going back to last Sunday, because I do believe it was a significant moment, but it's a great example and an illustration of how this works. But this could be something you may have been believing for, praying for, hoping for, for years, maybe decades. And you've been patiently praying and standing in faith for a breakthrough or an answer of some kind. And so how does this seed grow and produce fruit? Jesus said it's by us abiding in him and him abiding in us. So uh, this word abide we're throwing it around a lot. What does it mean? What does it mean? I mean, I think we, most of us get a sense of what it means. If you look at the actual Greek word that's being used right there, and you look at the definition of that word, it literally means to stay, remain, live, and dwell. To stay, remain, live, and dwell. So Jesus is saying, if I just switch out the word abide for that, he would say, stay, remain, live, and dwell in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it stays, remains, lives, and dwells in the vine. And neither can you unless you stay, remain, live, and dwell in me. We get the idea. In fact, if you go back to Psalms 91, back in the Old Testament, when we're not doing Greek, now we're doing Hebrew. Psalms 91 says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. It's the same idea. That's the Hebrew word yashab. And it means almost exactly the same thing. To live, inhabit, dwell, stay. This is what it means to abide. And, you know, we can set a goal for a lifestyle where we just live in that place all day long and we never leave. But for most people, and I'll throw myself in the mix too, for most people, you have to get there. You don't just step into that. And so you have to create a structure. You have to create a path to get from not abiding to abiding all the time. So I'm not necessarily at this moment talking about the idea of like staying in an attitude of prayer, staying in the secret place, even as you go to work, even as you go to the grocery store. What I'm talking about more is what we would call a spiritual discipline or practice where you make time to be still and grow. So like, let's say, just as an example, let's say that you decide, you, you create a practice 
in your life where at 7.30 in the morning, you take 30 minutes and you remain in the presence of God, in the word of God, and you create a discipline, that creates a structure that you can grow. And this is the idea of abiding that we're talking about this morning. Abiding God is what leads to bearing fruit. It creates favorable conditions in your heart that promotes seed growth. And what we see in the parable, I'm going to kind of get back again to how this feels. Because sometimes the way things feel can throw you off a little bit. When we read the parable, it feels like what it's saying, or it seems like what it's saying, is that there's a two-step process, right? There's the sowing or planting, and then there's the harvesting or reaping, and there's the point where we put seed in the ground, and there's a point where we get fruit and we get the harvest, right? In fact, if you look at other parts of the Bible, it kind of, it still seems that way. Genesis 8.22 is what popped into my head. It says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Seed time and harvest. Everybody say, seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. And, but, he, but how does that feel? You know? Again, I'm going to rewind back to last Sunday. We wrote a big, bold prayer request down, right? How does that feel when you put seed in the ground? It doesn't feel like seed time and harvest. It feels like seed time and harvest. Can I get an amen? That's what it feels like. How many of you guys in here, you, uh, you put in a garden in the springtime? You like to plant things. You like to grow things. Yeah, some of you. We usually try to do that every year, and uh, on, depending on year to year, it's, sometimes it's a great success, and sometimes it's a miserable failure. This year, we got peppers, and that's about all we got. That's all right. I like peppers. But what I really like is tomatoes, and we did not get tomatoes this year, and it's frustrating. And when we put tomatoes in the ground, whether it's starting them from seeds or putting a plant in the ground... I want the tomato then. And this, this is completely non-spiritual. There's no analogy here. It's just a question. Who puts salt on their tomatoes? Salt, slice tomato open, put salt. That's the way to do it. That's the heaven way to eat a tomato. It's, it's like, the, uh, like a fresh tomato, like really red ones, you know. You slice it open. That's like the greatest thing. And so when, I put, when we put a tomato plant in the ground, I want a tomato. But I have to go out there week after week, month after month, and look at that plant while I'm mowing the grass or whatever, waiting for a tomato to come. And that's because we have seed, time, and harvest. And so what are we talking about again with the seed? We're talking about the word of the kingdom, the promise of fruit. In your situation, maybe the promise of breakthrough, maybe the promise of healing, Whatever it may be, it's what you sought God to pray for, what you listened to the direction of the Holy Spirit for and responded to, and God planted something in your heart, whether it was last Sunday or maybe years ago. But the middle step in the process can be a big one, time, time. Some of those promises 
we experience in the here and the now. Um, I was, <laughs> I, I mentioned last night at the, the Saturday evening service about how my wife um, wrote down uh, a big, bold prayer request uh, last Sunday. And within 24 hours, she got an answer, and it was miraculous. I mean, it was amazing. And I told everybody that. And then this morning, she's like, just to give you the full picture, that's something I'd been praying for for years and years and years. I was like, okay, all right, okay. But from the moment you wrote it down. And so uh, what I'm saying is, there are things that we can sometimes, you'll hear testimonies and stories of like, I prayed this prayer, and it's like I walked out the door and bang, God answered that prayer. And that's so awesome, and that's encouraging to me, and I love hearing those stories. But how many of you guys know, and I know you know this, that many times we pray and believe for things that are not, the answer is not in the now, it's in the not yet. It's in the not yet, or we could say the future. And so there's this time, there's seed, time, and harvest. There are promised things, and I'm talking about promised things. I'm not talking about some arbitrary thing you just kind of, you know, said, oh, I want this thing over here. That, I mean, I'm talking about promised things. There are promised things in the Word of God that we desperately desire from God, and we're looking for a right now yes. And nothing strange or abnormal about that. That's what I want too. And it can be particularly challenging to let that seed grow when you desperately want the fruit. In fact, some of you may even be in a place where you're totally broken and you've prayed and you have not gotten the answer you wanted or maybe you haven't gotten any answer. And, you know, Pastor Sean and me and others will stand up here and talk about trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And you're in a place where you're already walking through loss or pain or fear, and you're just trying not to blame God. And it can be very, what I'm saying is it can be very challenging to be in that season of standing, watching. Pastor Sean addressed this last week when he talked about it's not about waiting, it is about actively trusting. And I'm reading a book uh, right now called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And this is, I've read many, many, many books on prayer. And this is one of uh, the most authentic scriptural books on prayer I've read. And what I want to do today as we're going through actual scripture, I want to read you some quotes out of this book as well and then kind of uh, pull them into the context of what we're talking about here. So this, this is especially to those of you who are in that place of waiting, and it's just almost like torture. Listen to this quote from this book. Will the pain suffering and needs that intrude on our own stories harden our hearts or will they soften our souls? How does the very pain that is eating us alive become an agent of deep transformation? We have to invite God, the very one who broke our trust, into the muck with us 
we invite the one who we are labeling as perpetrator to be our healer. It's the most courageous of all choices. So, you know, obviously, when he's talking about God breaking our trust and being the perpetrator, he's talking about how being in that place, our perspective is twisted enough by the pain, the loss, whatever it is we're going through, that it twists the way that we see and relate to God. But we have to ask ourselves, will we allow the pain to be the loudest voice in our life, or will we invite God to be our healer? And if God, listen, if God has promised something in his word, and again, I'm not talking about some specific kind of arbitrary thing that we just want. I'm talking about you found it in here. And it is a promise to those who follow Jesus. And if God has promised something in his word and you aren't seeing it happen in your life right now, it could be that the answer isn't no but it's not yet. It could be. That's possible. Uh, Galatians 3.29 says, if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. So God is faithful. I love, we had the, the uh, take five a few weeks ago. I think it was Stephen uh, that uh, talked about the faithfulness of God and God can't be anything but faithful. So he doesn't promise something, then change his mind or, or re, renegotiate things or, or, or alter things. God is faithful. And so for most of us, we need to return to the knowledge that God loves us and wants relationship with us. For most of us, that's what needs to happen. Here's another quote. The most important discovery you will ever make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. He is not scowling at you. He is on your side. Unless our mission and our acts of mercy, our intercession, petition, confession, and spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation, determination, and duty instead of revelation, expectation, and joy. So this is a message of hope for those of you who are in that waiting season. You have seed in the ground, and you're ready for the fruit. And we know that sowing seed can be hard. The, we, you know, we throw around these, these, uh, these terms and these examples and illustrations that we pull out of the Bible of like, Break up the fallow ground, till up the soil. Well, that's we're talking about our heart here. And that's not a comfortable thing to do that and get yourself ready to receive the seed. But you've received the seed of God's word. And like Pastor Sean said last week, it's not about sitting around and waiting. It's about actively trusting. One more quote. When you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is. You're allowing your soul to grow up. If you can't be still and wait, you can't become what God created you to be. And I love the encouragement in Psalms 126. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap 
with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with him. Think again about what you wrote on that piece of paper last week. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And how do you cultivate that seed that should be growing in your heart? Remember what we read, our text. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. You can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. So what am I saying here? God sows the seed of his word in your heart. We've we've seen that clearly now. And when you abide in him, the condition of your heart promotes growth that the seed that God placed in there can grow. Okay, enough information, enough teaching. I I love information and knowledge and all that stuff, but I, I hate it when something is only academic because then it's just, at best, it's just some interesting thing that we all kind of listened to and talked about. It's got to change us. Don't you agree? We need to walk out of here changed. When we, The word of God should go forth into our heart and not return void. So let's close this out with application. Now, Pastor Sean talked about and has been talking about and will continue to talk about encounter, formation, and mission and what a real disciple of Jesus looks like. And this idea of abiding, which is really what we're talking about today, it's not encounter. It's more formation. In fact, it's actually the center of spiritual formation. Um, But we need to understand how to create space for this formation to happen, for this to go from being information to application. And I bet you thought, when I said we were closing up, that there was not going to be a video today. (laughs) You know where you're at. This is Journey Church. So we have a video. Let's go ahead and roll it. Yeah, rule of life is ancient language. It's not modern. So modern Western people, unless if you're Catholic, where that language is used more, it's really strange and a little bit alien sounding. And so the first thing you have to point out is it's a rule of life, singular, not rules for life, plural. So it's not like you make a list of rules for your life. It's a rule. It comes from this ancient Latin word, regula, which many scholars estimate was the word used for a trellis in a vineyard. It was like that under kind of wooden support structure that made space for the vine to grow. And early followers of Jesus used Jesus' metaphor from John 15 about abide in the vine and bear much fruit, which is really, it's my favorite teaching of all of Jesus' teachings. And I really think it is the center point of spiritual formation and spiritual life. Like if we can figure out how to abide or to remain or how to live in God's presence all through the day, then the natural byproduct is we will just start to bear the fruit, so to speak, in that agrarian analogy of love and joy and peace and all the rest. But if you think about a vine, for a vine to grow well, it needs a trellis. Otherwise, it will bear a fraction of the fruit that it's capable of, and it will be vulnerable to wild animals or to disease. And we're no different as followers of Jesus. To bear the maximum amount of fruit 
out of our life and our body. We need some kind of a rule of life or a trellis or a support structure to make space for us to remain in Jesus and remain from a place of restful, joyful prayer and bear fruit. And so I would just define a rule of life as a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that make space for abiding and really allow us to live in alignment with our deepest desires. And how you make one is pretty straightforward. I mean, you can get really ninja and complex about it, but you have to start with your vision of the life that you want to live, in particular for us as followers of Jesus, with a life in the kingdom of God. And what would it, what would it look like for us to grow and mature into people of love? And so you start with like your vision and your values, and then you back up. And it's basically just habit stacking. Like what are habits from the way of Jesus or spiritual disciplines or whatever you want to call them? We call them practices that would shape a life around abiding and prayer and rest and work and kingdom and all the things that God has for you. And then it's as simple as that. You kind of write up a rule. And it's, a rule of life is always a moving target. It will change year over year as you change, as you move to different places in your spiritual formation, as you move to different stages of life. It will be very different for a single person to a married person to little kids to teenage kids to empty nester to death. I mean, all of these stages will be very different. So you have to constantly renegotiate it. And it's always a means to an end. Like a rule, the point of a rule of life is not to have a rule of life. It's to become a person of abiding and of love and of joy and of peace. Let me tell you one thing that I have learned. And I'll say this, over the last several years, four or five years, going back to 2017 at least, the idea of prayer and knowing God has been my main focus in my, in my own personal time with God and, and in ministry-related time. That's been my wheelhouse, so to speak. And one of the things that I've learned, and I'm a person that comes from a background that's, you know, pretty spirit-filled and kind of charismatic and kind of just like, let's just go wherever the Holy Spirit's going. And there's, it's kind of just like a freestyle follow God into a great adventure kind of a thing. It's kind of the way I've grown up. And what I'm learning is this, is that prayer is both relational and procedural. And do you know where I learned that? Jesus. I learned that by reading what Jesus taught about prayer. And what I found was, if prayer is only procedural, like all you have are or this is how I do it, and this is when I do it, and all that. If prayer is only procedural, there's no life in your prayer life. But if prayer is only relational, there's no growth in your prayer life. So you might have a great time, but are you going anywhere? Are you growing anywhere? And so what we're talking about here is this idea of abiding. But we're talking about getting strategic and intentional about creating space in our life for abiding to actually happen, for real happen. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of do something similar to what we did last week. There's no paper or pencils. You're not going to write anything down. But as the band just kind of creates some sound in the room and, and uh, I want you to take just a minute and just like we did last week where we, we, we just stilled ourselves and we focused on 
the, the Holy Spirit and we listen to what he had to, to say, I want you to do the same thing. And I want you to just ask the Lord, what do I need to do to create space for abiding? And then now let me give you an example of what that might look like. So if I'm doing that, I might sit down and say, Lord, what do I need to do to create space for abiding? And maybe if I'm not somebody who is normally much of a listener when I pray, what that might be like is as I'm sitting there being still, I might feel like I had an idea. Well, I, sh I should, maybe I should use that moment after breakfast when I still have like 20 minutes before I leave for work and Maybe I should use that time and just open my Bible and read a little bit and listen. So that's an example of maybe something that's what I would hear. For you, it may be something totally different. It may look totally different. It may be a different time of day. But the point is this. I want us to just sit, focus on the Lord, and ask him this question. Lord, I do want to abide with you. And I pray that you would show me now what needs to change or be altered in my life and my routine and my rhythms to make space for that to happen. And whatever you direct me to do, I will obey and I'll do it. So let's just take some time right now. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just now move through this room as, as all of us, God, are putting our attention, our focus on you and our ears to your voice. Lord, lead us and guide us in what way each one of us needs to change something to create space to abide and dwell with you and grow. In Jesus' name.